You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hi, David here. In episode 65, if you're listening to this on 65 or you're listening to it at the beginning of 66, I drop a pretty dark and morbid joke regarding my mental health. I struggle with mental health, obviously, uh, if that's not evident from my erratic posts and things that I do and how I am on the podcast. And I deal with it by being funny and making fun of it for myself. I don't make fun of it for other people. That's how I deal with it. Uh, we've gotten a whole bunch of people reach out asking if I'm okay. I don't know. I am. I think um, you know I'm alive. So I see a therapist weekly. I did, actually, I put a whole video on our Instagram, 10-minute video talking about all of this and how you can get help uh, or help you can identify with it. And I'll also put that on our website if you don't have an Instagram so you can check it out. But sorry to concern you guys. That's just how... I deal with it and how I cope. If you're struggling with anxiety, depression, or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or a combination of all of them, please feel free to reach out to me, but make sure you go see someone that you trust and possibly a therapist if you can. Thanks. Welcome to episode 65 of the Life in Ruins podcast, where we investigate the careers of those living a life in ruins. I'm your host, Carlton Gover, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Connor Johnnan and David Howe. Tonight, we continue our series, Fantastic Domesticates, and where to find them. And then for this episode, we're going to focus on old, old world, quote unquote, uh, domesticated animals. So how are we doing, everybody? David, how, how's life been real quick? <sighs> Hang on. Let me just look this up really quick. How to define... The National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 800-273-8255. Connor, how you doing? I didn't know that number offhand, so I think things are going uh I had to well. Google it. <laughs> <laughs> it. I just... No, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. It's summer. Lots of field work going on in the CRM world. Projects galore. Oh. Pure chaos. You know. Chaos. Just pure chaos. What about you, Mr. Mr. Gover? You know, just finally finally back in Boulder. Working at the museum. It's great. Can't complain. It's nice to have a routine. I, I commute like a schmuck. <laughs> I gotta dress Solid. nicely. Wear khakis. Oh, that's and right. Yeah, you're working at the Denver Museum. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'm waiting for Talia to show back up, but she like fractured her femur tap dancing on ice next to that Tyrannosaurus Rex they got in the main lobby, I guess, is my understanding. I was uh, talking to my coworker, Kelly, the other day about how I need to like stop doing a bunch of projects and saying yes to things and spreading myself so thin. And I was like, you know what? I think the next thing that happens, I'm just going to wait a day and say no. After I said that, I get a call from Carlton and he's like, hey, I got a bunch of stuff here at the museum. Like, uh, I really think you should help with this. Like, you want to be on the paper? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and then I went and had like a the third mental breakdown of the day in my chair this time, not in the back room. So that's my life. Uh, <laughs> you do. Anyway. Okay. You've been having those more and more frequently. Yeah. You know, I'm doing all right. Yeah. Did, uh, can you talk about your uh, Denver Museum stuff yet, or is it still behind closed doors? Or I know I think I can. It's I don't think it's a secret. Got hired as I've been joking with you two. I got 
you know, for those that you saw on the Instagram, like I got specifically hired for this job because of my work at Wyoming, which I don't do anymore. I don't do paleo Indian bison. I just worked on sites that did paleo Indian bison. And so now I'm working on a paleo Indian bison kill called Jones Miller, which was excavated in the seventies, but it's, uh, but was never published. So, uh, Dennis Stanford, who we all know, just uh, sat on it for the past 50 years and, and passed away. So now it needs to get done. So we're trying to look at the old manuscript, figure out what's good. And I can tell you most of it's not good and get a new Classic. group of researchers to look at the collections and go over them with modern, modern analysis and get it published. So that's why I kind of, I reached out to both of you guys. So I get to select, I have a lot of leeway. So I get to select my, my dream team. So, yeah, no, I'm excited. It's a really cool collection. It's one of the largest bison kill sites in North America. Back in a day, it was the oldest at 11,000. I don't know if that is, if that still stands, but it's like bison Antiguas, like mass kill site over 300 something individuals. Wow. How old is Folsom? It's a hell gap age site. So I think, okay. I think Folsom's 12,000 to something to like 11,000. So it's like, it's, an, still, it's still Pleistocene. So it's old. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's hell gap, which is interesting, but it's like, I'm going through the old manuscript of all those that work there. And it's like Marcel Kornfeld in the seventies when he was a teenager, which is like hard to imagine. Like Kathy Cameron, Chuck Rear from Wyoming worked on that and produced a chapter. Mm. And it's like really cool to see all these famous archeologists that are retiring now working at this place in the early seventies when they were little baby archeologists. But yeah, yeah, so it's cool, and I'm looking forward to it. But uh, you know, long term project that I'm I'm just fortunate to be to be a part of. Once again, Forrest got myself into something I didn't see happening. But uh, is this a? Do you call this a pre doc as opposed to a post doc? I think I'm, so. I was trying to explain I, it to them today what your thing is, and I was like, I guess it's like a pre post doc. That's really funny. <laughs> that that's what it is. And like Steve Nash, who runs the museum, keeps telling me, you know, Carlton, don't screw this up because like. He has a grant for a postdoc, and if I do well on this, then it sets me up to be, you know, competitive. And that would be great because I've told you guys I stayed. I wanted to live in Denver and stay in Colorado at least. And if I can get a postdoc at the museum, it wouldn't uproot my life too much. And it's cool to be like I've. It's it's awesome to work at the museum. I get there at seven. I get my articles and reports, and I kind of meander around the museum when no one's there, by myself, just doing knowledge. It's fun. That's awesome. It's a cool workspace, but shall we segue into shout out Megan Grizzle for helping you get that, that started. Cause I heard that's a crazy process. I need to call mm. Megan Grizzle. Yeah. That used to be her project before she dipped out to, uh, to Wyoming. The, Grizz, the great and powerful Grizz. So yeah, I need to talk we to haven't her. Had her on. We need to have her on some point. Yeah, we, we have, we should yeah. agreed. Megan Grizzle. If you hear this, you're invited. I guess before we swing into that, I didn't mean to like make such like heavy dark jokes before. I'm doing I'm doing fine, guys. It's all good. We're we're good. Everything's fine here. How's the uh, cancel Strider campaign going? Oh, uh, yeah, it's um, it's going good. No t-shirts were bought, so you know I can't say that was doing. <laughs> I have really no data to to go with it. So, but yeah, he's canceled. He's in my living room currently. Canceled. Make sure, so yeah, make sure and put that on your Instagram. Twitter, yeah, whatever. Dude. Hashtag cancel Strider. Hashtag yeah, cancel dude. Strider. He got mutt shamed. Mutt lives matter, guys. Come on. Like, he, you can't. <laughs> oh, forgot about that. What just, happened? Someone was trying to tell me that, like, calling him a Wyoming mountain dog is promoting, like, I should use my platform better because I'm promoting backyard breeding, which is unethical. And, like, therefore, like, he's a mutt and you need to call him a mutt. And that's what he is. And I was like, um, 
I can call him whatever I want to because you can call Lemonade and Ice-T a fucking Honor Palmer and like that's fine. So like I can call him a Wyoming Mountain Dog and like do, do you think I just got him at like a rescue? Like he's so pretty. Like who would put that dog at a rescue? So like I got him there. Not that rescue dogs aren't pretty. It's just like Strider's like, you know, I got him as a puppy. Like I post pictures of him as a puppy in the video in question. I saw pictures of him as a puppy. Like, what do they think? I just got him in a shoe box from stamps.com or blue apron. So like, I mean, it's not that far off. It was a trailer park in, in West Laramie. But. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like the best of situations to get, but like, did they want me to return him to the said trailer park? Do they want me to put him down? Like, I don't know. Like what, like, so I'm sorry. My dog doesn't fit your, you know, stereotype of what an ideal dog should be. But anyway, it was just such a, it's weird things I never thought I'd deal with in my life that I'm now dealing with. But that comes with such a large platform that you're, as we've mentioned several times and at the last episode where I was a yeah, little tipsy. Yeah, but like call me out for my, my view of like women or call me out for my view of like race I don't know something. about that one. I don't know about Right, Jesus. but like that, that's an that's anthropological... That's what we went with? <laughs> well, I mean like I'm saying that's an anthropological thing. I what can are your views that. of women and race, We're David? We're not going to get into that. Are you going to start that right great, now? Official stance? Great, neutral, great views. But then like we have... I have to answer, I have to defend my dog's like weird pedigree because I called him something. Like, I'm not qualified for this. Like, let's talk about, like, <laughs> like I don't know. It's just not where I thought I'd be. I don't know. He's the most good looking of the Wyoming Mountain Dogs there is, in my humble opinion. He is. The other ones don't look like him. He's he's a special boy. I don't know. I like Callie. I, Callie for, it looks good for a short hair, I would say. Todd's dog. A little shorter. Callie's pretty. She's his aunt, I think. Aunt or like cousin, her sister, sister. Sister aunt, one of them, whatever dogs do. They look identical if you look at them next to each other. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, this was a derailment. But So uh, Strider is domesticated though, right? Yes. Yeah, so what is the definition of domestication for our audience? <laughs> domestication is the like the human selection in an animal or plant for a desired trait to do a specific task. Uh, or really just to, for lack of a better word, like, to get it to do what you want. So Teosinte, like this, this grass seed that is now maize, was like a tiny little piece of grass, like a dandelion-sized thing. And then now it is freaking corn. The desired trait was to make something more delicious and bigger and nutritious, and they just kept growing it and growing it and growing it. But now we can also make white corn or yellow corn or like whatever the weird decorative corn is you put on your table at Thanksgiving. Yeah, because we got to a pretty homogenous form of most domesticates in the past 50 years. And now we're trying to go back to like some of these other seeds, heirloom seeds, I think they're called, right? Um, yeah, we're going to go back to the organic kind of things. Um, sorry, derailment. <laughs> doesn't like, doesn't, is it maize technically a GMO because it's a genetically modified organism? Yeah, they're all GMOs. I, I say yep. that in my lecture all the time. It's like, if you want to complain about GMOs, like return your dog to, you know, the shelter, the mutt shelter and you return your, never eat corn again. Broccoli is, <laughs> broccoli is unnatural. There's no such thing as broccoli in the wild. It's got to be lettuce. Lettuce can't be a real thing. How, what does, what does lettuce do to the ecosystem? Like, what does it contribute? Nothing. It, it, it absorbs a lot of heavy metals. Does it? Should, it does, which you should be careful of. Yeah, like if you got to be careful where you get your lettuce because you might just be eating a lot of heavy metals. Not good for you. Oh, okay. So maybe it does suck up metals, I guess. I thought maybe it was just like the... It's the metal you know, siphon. 
I don't know if it siphons. It just takes up whatever's in the ground. So if there's a lot of heavy metals in there. You know that person from high school that is now like had really no trajectory in life and now they're just like a self-help guru and they sell stuff and they're still like, trying oh, to be a crowd laugher fitness forever. influencer. Yeah. Like that's what cabbage is. They contribute nothing. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, cabbage, what is it? Uh, like other, other vegetables, like vegetables. It's like the stuff you grow in your garden is completely unnatural. Like that's not stuff you find in the wild. It, it's wild. I mean, we could say like a GMO in the last like 50 years or so is a much different definition, but like in terms of like a grass seed now being maize, that's a GMO. Mm-hmm. And I called a dog a GMO one time and I got yelled at. So we, we won't call animals GMOs. Dude, they are though. Yeah. I mean, I think domesticates. Like, that's the official stance. Well, like- <laughs> on the, the dictionary definition of an organism that has been modified. Yes, it would, it would be. Right. And more specifically, like we, we talked about last time, how dogs are, are a human technology. The cha- I think it was uh, Dr. Perry's dissertation, but it's definitely the chapter in that dog's book that I cited, that we put in the, the you know suggested reading. She says like dogs are a biotechnology. And like when I think of biotechnology, I think of it as like literally like the robots from Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. Like they're just like, and I said this in that like those hunting stories I posted, like it's just, you're sending a robot out to do your bidding that just has flesh and a, a brain that's a uh, dogs are crazy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and kind of, we talked about dogs for a whole episode. However, there's all, of course, a whole wide range of animal domesticates, right? The yeah. next to come after dogs. So we're going to, for this episode specifically be talking about old world, meaning Africa, Europe, Asia, and does Australia is Australia counted in there? Or is that just Oceania? But uh, it depends on your interpretation of New World. If it's New World in the Columbian Exchange, Australia counts as New World. But if you're counting it as like East and West, then New World is just the Americas. I've always found that interesting. Yeah, let's just we'll call it New World. We all agree. Connor, do you agree with that? I don't agree with anything we say. Perfect. On this podcast. Two to one. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So. Goats. So tenth. Oh, I thought I was going to say that uh, the male was domesticated. I think before that. The what? Between the dog, the male, the human male. Oh mm, Jesus! Was was domesticated as part of that as well. Thank you, Connor, for another amazing contribution. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. The the goat uh, is uh I I think I personally think it's the earliest. It might be dated to be the earliest domestic animal. This is a funny thing I get too. When I, I put a post on TikTok about dogs being the first domestic animal, someone was like, actually, it's the goat. And I was like, can you can you give me a citation as to where you found that? And they're like, I just Googled it. And I Googled, what is the first domestic animal? And the first thing that comes up is goat. It's just demonstrably false. <laughs> and I was like, come really? on. But yeah, but I think it's talking about like livestock, which isn't wrong. Oh, okay, it, like makes- the goat. Yeah. yeah, but somebody's like, I literally am saying, like, I'm an archaeologist who studies ethnozoanalysis, like, oh, and they're like, it's a goat. <laughs> like, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, so the goat. And do you guys have an inclination as to? I know the answer in my head or in my opinion, I guess, as to why the goat was the first. So they were domesticated first or earliest. Like they're they're from the Middle East, right? Do they come from Mufons? Muf Mufin? Yeah, Mufon. Mufon. I have... Or no, no, no. Uh, Ibex is goats. Ibex. Mouflon is sheep. Okay. Yeah. So why were they Mouflon. domesticated first? Because the environment in the Middle East was better suited for domesticating goats? I don't know. I think it's like Dr. Taylor said with horses. They originally wanted to get their milk. 
but also when the Pleistocene is ending and now people are getting more sedentary, especially with like the Natufians and the Levant are the first to like settle um, in that Epipaleolithic. They are not the, the Natufians aren't the ones that make goats. It's like more in like Iran and, and Iraq, but they, you have goats now, instead of hunting them, you bring the goats to you. And now you have that biotechnology that can spook the goats into thinking they're being stalked. So now you can corral those goats and bring them more towards home. And like, I don't think with the, without the dog, it wouldn't have been as possible. I think we would have still done it, but in those parts of the world, the dog helped. And then, cause like, I don't know how you would figure out like, you know what? I'm going to milk that thing in 50,000 <laughs> BC. Like, why would that be your first thought? Like, I want to eat that thing first is what I think. And you, you'd bring it in closer. Could you, uh, I would, I would hypothesize that it's like uh herding because they, they, they go in herds, right? They're, they're large groups of do, goats. Yeah. Like and I, sheep I and stuff like that. But I think that goes hand in hand with what you're saying that if you have a, one dog, you know, your biotechnology helps you easily corral these already corralable herdable animals. Yeah. So a group of and goats is a tribe. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So. Well, that that is cool because in the bands, tribes, kingdom, states thing, nomadic people and uh, pastoralists are usually into tribes and they always pastoralize goats. So that's like a tribe of goats. Tribe yeah. of goats. Yeah. And that's, I mean, as you said, this kind of like bio, bio thing where you, you're, tr- what? <laughs> I'm just thinking in my head, like, what tribe are you from? They're like, I'm from that <laughs> tribe. <laughs> anyway, um, they just faint, right? Like, it, it, it's it, it's it's a sense of it's a form of food security, right? If you're able to know where the food is, your ability yeah. to get said food exponentially increases. So if you can corral goats or something like that into a into an area where you know they're going to be there, like, dope. Yeah. And then you know, thinking out loud now, that's kind of where you get the milk thing from too. Cause then you realize rather than over hunting them and having to move to go find more goats, you corral them and literally milk them for all they're worth while they're alive. And then you kill them, but they also can reproduce and then you have more and then there you, you go. Well, so yeah, goats and sheep, pigs, cows, horses were like way later. Yeah. I guess we can continue to the next segment yeah we're finished milk in this segment we'll be right back with segment two of episode 65 welcome back to episode 65 of life and ruins podcast aka this episode we are talking about domesticates where to find them why we chose them how you see it in the archaeological record all this kind of stuff um so we ended the last conversation or the last segment talking about goats i think and sheep so those are, so you get you get dogs first, obviously, unless you're goat. looking on, unless you're looking on Google, then then goats first, and then then you get goats and sheep kind of occurring at around like nine, then ten thousand years in uh, BCE, and they're popping up in the Middle East kind of area. Yeah, yeah. So like in the the cradle of Civ. The Fertile um, Crescent, as they sometimes refer to the, it as. The Fertile Crescent slash Cradle of Civilization, is that like a Western, Western-centric Western thing, you think? 
Should we yeah, not say that? Yeah, because there's a couple other birthplaces of what we would consider complex society or civilization, which would be... Well, I guess we could say there's multiple cradles of civilization. Yeah, that's fine. There's, a, there's, there's more than one baby of civilization, I guess. Yeah. I would say that the, calling it a fertile crescent is not, not PC. You know? No, it's a fertile crescent. It's it yeah, is. Yeah, it's like it's just what it is. <laughs> there is the, the the one in Mesopotamia is the fertile crescent along the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers, um, yeah. an environment that just has I, I want to say maybe environmental determinism is the wrong word, but it's an, an environment that uh, kind of pushes you to utilize it as efficiently as possible. So yeah, and, and so sheep and goats around 10,000 BC. Now, according to the documentary 10,000 BC, mammoths have also been domesticated by this point, but I don't see that on any of our lists here. Yeah, it, I mean, it's just it's it's to the like it's in the eye of the viewer. Who's to say? <laughs> We're to say. If you put a fence, a rope fence around a mammoth calf, is it domesticated? I don't know. Is it probably dangerous? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I thought that's um, where uh, cows came from, from mammoths, right? Yeah, one could say that. Uh, I, I should correct myself. Well, I, I think I said Iran is like where goats came from, right? Yeah, it's like Afghanistan, Iran, like those like hills and stuff. It's like Western Asia, not necessarily the Fertile Crescent. Yeah, so it's in between Syria and Iraq. So those mountain ranges where you would think of the Kurds coming from. That's where they're being domesticated. And yeah. so their purpose is for meat and uh, milk. So protein. It's a protein base, which is different, right, from the dog domestication, which was uh, a technology in, in as, as you laid out in last episode, assistance in hunting, mm -hmm. uh, camp protection, population protection, like they are man's little best friend. As a sidebar, in almost every archaeological setting where you find dogs, they have been eaten uh, at a lot of times, either ceremonially or out of necessity. Um, yeah. And like in the cool sense, like that dog was a good hunting dog. You eat it to get its power or like to keep it with you kind of thing is probably what was going on. Or they were just like, yo, there's no food. We're going to eat Strider. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really common. And like, <clears throat> I don't want to get into that like now with what goes on in the world today, but like it, it's more common than you'd think but yeah but yes mm -hmm. it's a technology to help with us yeah mm -hmm. you know in terms of some of these other domestics that we're going to talk about goats are on the smaller end of that spectrum of what gets domesticated with the exception of cats cats are the smallest yeah cats and, uh, guinea pigs oh yeah guinea pigs that, are, that's new world connor Keep it relevant. Well, okay. That's next. Yeah. That's next episode. Well, that's two episodes. From I mean, now. there's only like six things domesticated. We could talk about them. <laughs> but like, yeah, I think the cat might have been before goats because like they came with agriculture because we had all that stuff rotting in the granaries and they were like trying to come eat it. It um, is around eight thousand. Yeah, seventy five hundred eight thousand BC. As like dogs. Not for, not for meat primarily, which we do see people eat cats, but to control rat populations, which explode around, as David mentioned, agricultural locations, right? If, yes. And if anybody emails us to be like, actually, cats domesticated us, don't email me. It's not true. That'd be some shit Lana would say. Hey, email me. I'll <laughs> These two people, other clowns won't listen, but I will. My cats okay. domesticated me. 
Because then people will <laughs> be like, cats domesticate us or dogs domesticate us. They don't say it in that voice. It's usually like, uh, dogs domesticated us. And it's like, okay, what about 90% of the other population of the world who didn't have dogs at the time? What, what, what about them? You know, like, come on. <laughs> well, just and the first, the first epi- evidence for archaeological evidence for uh, domestication of kitty cats is actually the island of Cyprus. Yes. And then, you know, everyone knows of Egypt because of the iconography. Cats are mummified. But along with a slew of other animals, right, cats aren't the only thing that's mummified. I mean, they've freaking mummified whole saltwater Nile River Crocs. crocodiles. Crocs. Can you imagine being the peasant told to like, hey, I need to go wrangle one of those out of the river. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot him, Clint. It's probably like a, probably a priest, and they're like, "All right, you're the new guy. You're, you're on this one." <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, old. I think if you guys are going to check out something cool on cats, PBS Eons episode is great. Callie narrates it, and then who narrates it? Callie from PBS Eons. Oh, okay. Yeah, fossil librarian. She narrates it, but Alex Fitzpatrick from uh, Archaeo Animals wrote it that episode. So really, shout out, shout out Archaeo Animals. Yeah. Awesome. Or she she wrote the dog one. I don't know if she wrote. I think she wrote that one too. I thought she did the dog one. I was just script consultant. Oh I, yeah, they were just like, "Hey, is this all good?" And I was like, "Yes." Literally, the propaganda czar <laughs> <laughs> for PBS. They were like, "Is this cool with you?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> is there a cat account in archaeology that compares to ethnosynology? Ethnophilonology. There is not, but I have bought the domain name, so. <laughs> can, we just, can we just make it as a prank account as like a dump account <laughs> I should get it to like a redirect notice and it just says no uh 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 no cats and then it takes you to alright I'm doing it <laughs> writing that down right now you should make the Instagram and all it is is just like crappy cat memes and like other places that domesticate cats like I think is it Taiwan or Thailand it's Thailand, right? Where they, where the Siamese cats come from, which I guess is Siam because I'm an idiot. It's in the name. Well, they're like, it's probably they're like, just a breed, right? Yeah, they train, but they train them to be like guard cats. Oh, I didn't know that. Was my understanding. And that might just be some something I picked up from a kid without verifying. Like, you know, the reason why Mr. Rogers has long sleeve sweaters is because he has a bunch of Navy SEAL tattoos on his arm. Believe that for a long time. So, yeah, let's not. Let me fact check that. <laughs> Siamese cats as guard cats. Yes. Okay. That is legit. They have some of the strongest protective instincts among all cats. Yes, they are. They're guard cats. That's why they were selectively bred. People really went crazy with this domestication thing. Yeah. Like chickens, guinea pigs, ducks, uh, silkworms. Also, also in in the past. Like that that counts too. And did you guys know I learned this on TikTok a couple weeks ago? And I had to, you know, I, I fact check things on TikTok myself. I don't just take it at face value like most people do. What I'm saying you should do that, hint hint. You have to boil silkworms to get them out of the cocoons. Really? So like yeah, silk is not vegan because like you have to like you take sacks of like silkworm cocoons and just straight up boil them in a vat. And then like it's the only way to kill the silkworms in there without like crushing it. Uh, and then you can peel open the cocoon and then you can unspool like the silk thing. And it's a continuous strand. Hmm. 
it, I, I had no idea it was that much of a process and it's like a huge like artisan thing in like ancient China. It's like really fascinating. Hmm. Um, yeah. Gotcha. So we have just a recap sheep 10,000 years ago, pig 8,000 year, years ago in the middle East and possibly China cattle in the middle East, 8,000 years ago, Zebu cattle, which are pr- another domesticate. And that's was yeah, first. Think, yeah. It's in Pakistan. Is it? Um, yeah. 6,000 yeah, years ago. That's what I first thought. Horses around 6,000 years ago, although the DNA of domestic horses is very diverse, which suggests that they may have been domesticated more than one place. And all these are happening like in the Middle East. And like, this is kind of why I buy, I think this is part of Jared Diamond's argument, right? The whole orientation of the old world versus the new world. And that all these domesticates are happening at a a mid equatorial latitude. And so because it's easier to move east and west from the Middle East into China or into Northern Africa or Southern Europe, that it's easier to relocate these animals because the climate is pretty similar along that latitude. Mm-hmm. So it, it helps with the whole spread of domestication really rapidly, right? Whereas like Yamas, which we'll get into next episode, domesticated a mountainous climate, don't do really hot in the basin of Mexico. Nice pun. What yep. animal is that? <laughs> Yam- llamas, llamas, well, llamas, oh. whatever. Right, Tui yeah. always called him llamas, so that's where I picked it up. Yeah, I think it well, is. The double L is like yeah. yeah. But like, here, here's the thing: it's a slippery slope when you like you pronounce some foreign words correctly and then others not. Because like, if I want to say llama, then I also have to go around being like mozzarella, like when I want to say mozzarella <laughs> cheese, and like I'm not gonna do that. And like somebody was like, it's Piero pick. Pierogi, and I was like, I'm not going to say it that way. I'm going to say pierogi because I don't want to be like a jerk. <laughs> like I don't know. Uh, that is so, a very good good point. It's a rant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, the that, cat, the cat. Oh, what's up? I was going to say the also that the easy travel across east, west, and 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 Europe and America and Europe, Africa, and all that that stuff is you know, promotes uh, information flow as well. You know, if it's easy to move animals, it's easy to move information across those, those things. Like it's hard. How would you tell someone you, you domesticated something in Florida, say the, the Florida man, you domesticated Florida man in Florida. How would you ultimately spread that information down to, you know, it's a journey to get to the Andes or other places like that, even like word to mouth or anything like that. Yeah, because like you have to go through like the Everglades and you're like, you know what? Like, this is like, we'll just have this thing here. Like, they don't need to know. And yeah, I'm this like, isn't important. <laughs> like, you get to go through Louisiana and you're like, you know, no. But then, like, overseas, like, you're in Afghanistan, you're like, I want to get out of here. There's like, this is, I'm parched. <laughs> you're like, I want to go show everyone else, like, what we got. They're forgetting yeah. a couple on that. The Aurochs is, I think, is what cows are, but Aurochs are yeah. extinct now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a lot of the wild forms of these have gone extinct. Like we had that one, like there are, I think there are some wild horses, but like there's no wild horses in the Americas. They're feral horses. Yeah. They were brought back. Yeah. You know, well, they're feral. And now like, I think like, I don't know when feral becomes wild, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, they're like a, they're a released population. We forgot that website doesn't have donkeys. So the donkeys are ancestrally from the wild African ass. Uh, and Equus from Africanus. The Mediterranean, I think. The, Which is why the first like, evidence as three donkey skeletons in the first dynasty tomb at Tarkin in Egypt, circa 2850 BC. Yeah. 
Oh, that's I the first they're from like Mediterranean islands, which is why they're like so speciated small equids. Um, Wild African that. ass. Uh, mm-hmm. When is the camel domesticated? Shows how much. Have you ever had camel's milk? It probably happened multiple times with multiple. Types it's of thick. Milk. I have not had camel's milk. No. It's yeah. It's uh. Camel, another new world animal that evolved there that now lives in the old world, and we know it is that. And they're evolved for the Arctic. Like to live up in the high Arctic in like the mountains, which is why they like can store all that fat for like, you know, winters and whatnot hmm. and can go without water for a while because it's frozen. 900 BC. The camel? Is, uh, camel. Yeah, that's pretty late compared got, to everything else. I got 4,000 on Wikipedia, but I'll double check that. Uh, Yep. Dromedary. Hold on. It's probably a better source for all this stuff, but I wasn't prepared. It says 12th down to 10th century. This isn't very, I mean, it happened around that time, well, but you can see domestic camels in the black obelisk of Shalmaneser III, which you can find conveniently, not in Egypt. Where do you think you can find this obelisk from Egypt? Uh, London. Yeah. Uh, British Museum. Island. <laughs> island up north. Um, very up I guess north. we shouldn't get too bogged down with the dates and like what, because there's like, there's endless amounts of like bunnies are pre-domesticated too, but like, the the point of these things, right? Because I think it's all for like milk and meat in the beginning and then the hides. And then you have like, you don't have to go hunt a bison now to like get hides. Like it's all right there. Yeah. And then sheep's wool. They were probably like, oh man, we could, because you've hunted the animal before, you know, the wool is cool and like you can use it. So then you want to make that happen. And then like the camel, like, did they want to ride it? Or they were just like, we could probably, you know get a lot of cool stuff up on that hump and use it to carry things. Yeah. And it's, so you're bringing, you're making life easier. I mean, that's, that's the whole point. And we're really getting into like the Neolithic. You're making, you don't have to go and find things out in the wild. You can have them right there. They won't necessarily bite you or totally F you up. I mean, they can, and then people want to come and steal it. And it was essentially lockdown for them. This is COVID and they, they got DoorDash and brought the animals to them. I think this is a t-shirt idea. Yeah, yeah domestication. Neolithic <laughs> <laughs> DoorDash. All the, all the domestic animals, but it's like prices on a menu. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And then this leads to warfare. And this is why the Neolithic sucks. Hashtag <laughs> Stefan Milo. Come and, come and steal your donkeys. So, yeah, I mean, that's... And it's, it's I, I, interesting, right? Because it's clearly nothing else. No other... I mean, we'll get into f- flora later which will be i'm sure just a gripping episode <laughs> just an we just lost like a tenth of our audience who are super yeah. into candy domesticated plants okay, who uh candy hollenbach i don't know that one ut uh we, we, we met her candy. at a party sometimes we it was in dc you probably don't recall it i know for a fact you don't based on the state <laughs> you're in now that i mentioned it out loud but yes yeah, so you did meet her excellent yeah was she with ella she was with Stephanie. There, that was like with my UT family. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I was a little yeah. browned out, but I can see. Mm-hmm. I could recognize her. Anyway, yeah, she's a paleoethnobotanist, which is like someone who reconstructs ancient plant remains at a site. Sweet. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, we, I guess like in the next segment, we'll go more into depth, more in depth about like the different animals that were. Like why they were used and whatnot. And some drawbacks to uh, domestication that we yeah. still suffer from today. Yeah. I, I'll start I'll start, the, I'll start the next segment off with this thought about dogs. Okay. Sweet. And so 
Stay tuned. All right, we're back with episode 65 of Life and Runs Podcast. David, drop us that sweet, sweet dog thought. Neolithic, right. So dog kennels and kennel masters and stuff. So like in the Neolithic, you start getting specialized like in, in human jobs, right? So you have farmers, you have tanners, you have cobblers, and then like I know for a fact in Tenochtitlan there was like stonesmiths, like because they didn't have blacksmiths, they just had someone who worked with obsidian all day. And you were like, "Hey, I need this," and he's like, "Gotcha, fam." They made you some sweet like obliques, but uh, that's not the word. Um, what's what are the the cool obsidian things? Oh, um, uh, eccentrics. Quill. Oh, eccentrics. <laughs> um, anyway, that's that's the that's the sword. Maquados. Anyway, like I don't I know just, what I said. Like, Sorry. Anyway, (laughs) so you start getting specialized jobs, right? And then you get like, you know, the goat guy, and then you got your cow guy, and you got your, you know, the person who like, what do you you call a sheep shearer dude? Like the guy, like Jim, he is the sheep guy. But you also now have like a kennel master who raises the dogs. And like in a lot of indigenous societies, like the women raise the dogs, like along with the children. And then they give the dogs to like the male hunters, uh, at least in like Arctic and, and like subarctic cultures, that's a thing. And in plains cultures, that seems to happen too. So like maybe that happened in the Neolithic as well. Can't say for sure, but there's somebody that does that. And then you have somebody who's specializing in that. And then depending on what you need the dogs for, is it herding goats, herding sheep, chasing down horses for their milk, chasing camels, or like guarding the sheep, guarding stuff. For riding. For for riding, yeah. For dogs, for riding, yeah. You have somebody now breeding that. So that's where you start to see like the Saluki and the Greyhound and stuff in Egypt and like like specialized dogs. Because someone always inevitably asked me like, where, when does that start happening? And like before that, it's just some like dingo-like dog that, that at least I, as I understand it. But yeah, so now you have, to segue into what we're talking about, you now have specialized people to do these like domesticating tasks or like at least being the farmer or the the goat farmer or like the the pastor you know the shepherd there you go yeah so much so that people revered shepherds so much that uh the judeo-christian god is a apparently a shepherd so you know seems to be a good task i personally think shepherding is kind of boring but Help me out here, guys. Let's. I don't know what to say that isn't going to be offensive to Judeo-Christian people. <laughs> I'm trying to refrain myself because I don't know where to go with my Lord is my shepherd. I just say dog is my shepherd, but capitalize the G. and it, I'm dyslexic, so, you know, <laughs> it plays. That's clever. Excellent. That's clever. <laughs> so we're getting a lot of these benefits from domesticated animals, but there are some drawbacks from being in and around animals their blood, their feces, and enclosed environments, which uh, isn't so hot for humans. And we still deal with those early, I guess they're not mishaps, because, I mean, it wasn't like they knew what was going on. But, you know, zoonotic diseases are a huge primary factor when it comes to domestication or byproduct of that. Mm-hmm. Smallpox, a lot of the poxes. So I think Diamond proposes, and like probably other people before him, for sure that he was stealing it from and not citing, that you get smallpox from those animals. But when I wrote a paper in Bioanth on like dog zoonotic diseases, and I was talking about like domestic animal ones, Jim Ahern pointed out that there's like new articles recently. That was what 2015. Jesus, that was 2015. Uh, <laughs> that was 2014. Yeah, oh my God. That it's possibly humans gave those things to the animals and then it like vectored in them, gestated and got worse and came back to us. Mm. 
And I was like, oh, that's wild. We might want to confirm that. But either way, it, the animals are what's making it worse. Yeah, and there's, there's some research to suggest that uh, at least in 2014, University of Liverpool published a paper su- suggesting that like it, it helps mutate and make virus and diseases worse. So because we're passing these these things between us and animals back and forth, and they have slightly different DNA, mm-hmm. slightly different body systems, and, and things like that, it allows for different mutations to kind of occur in these animals. And then they ultimately pass those mutations back to us and back and forth like this. So it's just this gross exchange of virus and disease that makes the, you know, domesticates and the agricultural revolution just the best thing in the world. Yeah. And it's like interesting to see the relationship between the number of shared diseases and parasites with humans and domesticated animals. We share the most number of diseases with dogs least with camel, with shared parasites, it's ungulates. And when you combine the two, it's it's dogs. I don't know what a lagomorph is. What is a lagomorph? Rabbits. Oh, they're on there. Yeah, they're not rodents. They're lagomorphs. Interesting. Yeah, it's in the rodent family, apparently. But like hares, That's, rabbits, chinchillas. What is a rabbit? Is that a suid? Or a chinchilla is a rat, sorry. A suid? I don't know what a suit is. I don't know. Interesting. And, you know, you get, especially when it comes to parasites, because it's not even just diseases, but like Black Death comes from fleas. They're eating rats, right? So that's an interesting, people for a long time believed it's rats and it actually might be gerbils. <laughs> that gerbils kicked it Shout off. Shout out Richard Gear. <laughs> and it comes, and more specifically, it might come from the bubonic plate. Really comes from a form of woodchuck or something like that in the Middle East. And this is based on like the death rates and those fleas. And this is this comes from the and this is I guess anthropological. Those fleas and those woodchucks interacted with gerbils, rats, and all these other things from the Mongolian hordes. As animals are being driven out, they're interacting and fleeing the Mongol hordes. So it's really those fleas. And Middle medieval uh, Europe wasn't the cleanest of places. I think the question we need to ask is, how much bubonic plague could a woodchuck bubonic plague if a woodchuck could bubonic plague? Apparently a couple million people. Like a really? third of Europe, apparently. If they'd only wash their hands, you know, like, come on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you guys, I, I was doing a live stream on TikTok with my cave back here. And I was like, all right, guys, what, what should I paint? What kind of animal should I paint here in this empty space? And somebody like it was like goat, mammoth, tiger. And someone said, the COVID bat. <laughs> and I like, I had to keep my composure because there's like family members and like, or like children and families that follow my like TikTok. And I was like, okay, that's really funny. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, zoonotic diseases are, are, they're a problem. And like you, a point that I was going to say before, we have cars now. We never really saw like the heyday of like, in literal sense, like horses all over the place with hay. And just and like crap everywhere. That's yeah. a good pun. That's a good like pun. they had to have like the they had day. like you see them in New York when there's horses walking around like um th- that's debatably unethical like the horse carriages still like I don't know whatever. But apparently um, Philadelphia has like a huge inner city 
like cowboy subculture that's just not talked about. What? Yeah, it comes from because it was primarily poor people of African-American descent who were the carriage drivers and take caretakers of the horses. And as the automobile began to replace horses, the horses know where to go. So there's these like districts within Philadelphia and other major eastern cities where there are literal, literal pastures and they have a cowboy culture that's intrinsically African-American that dates back, you know, a, a century or two. That's crazy. There's that's a there's a movie cool. on it on Netflix that that's what started it. It's, it's based on it. And there are they use actual inner city cowboys. It's really it's a really good movie. And it blew my mind that that was a part of Philly and other East Coast wow. cities that I never knew about. Then, of course, with the gentrification of inner cities, people are trying to get rid of those. Mm. And it, it'd be really sad to watch that go, especially since I just found out about it. Right. I mean, with them then, too, and like horses when they were, you know, in the heyday, there's just shit all over the streets. And like you yeah. like the ones in New York, they have these little things that catch the poop behind them. And like there were people out there that had to just clean dung all day. Like that was their name or their mm-hmm. job. And like the, that's in a big city like New York and London. And like back then you're living in like a waddle and daub hut and you're like, I wonder how much flax I'm to eat today. <laughs> and like there's a goat that's just like, like on your face and like, you're, oh, that's smallpox. I guess, you know, I got two weeks left to write my will. <laughs> well, then and that stuff, uh, you know, just having that around gets into it seeps into the water systems. It seeps into, you know, every aspect of your life, essentially. You know, it ties in really well. Like this all culminates in the Black Death, like how poorly health and human standards had gotten in the medieval ages. And a lot of it's the byproduct of domestication and cities where they're they're just not clean places. And apparently the buboes that like grow in you, like the big like boils, like the first two that grow are in the lymph nodes or like the, the glands that are in like your crotch, like in between your thighs. And like that starts to feel like swollen and then like the rest of your body gets like that's just sounds miserable. So you're like one day you're like, oh, my groin hurts. Uh Oh, all right. Well, (laughs) whoops. I guess I shouldn't have eaten that rat (laughs) or like whatever they eat or whatever. But yeah, it's just uh, none of that sounds good to me. Like we have Tylenol and sometimes I'm like, man. I had a headache, like Tylenol, it's in the pantry. I don't want to walk all over there. I'll just deal with my headache and lay on the couch and stare at the ceiling for six hours. And like now, like we could just take that. And like back then they're like dying of fevers, like daily. I don't know. Yeah, I I would say that, but also like modern domestication and modern meat farming and, and these big pharma industries also makes it worse for us because uh, diseases spread even crazier, crazy quicker through through these these close farmed animals and and whatnot so that stuff can spread even at you know i think at a like a, a higher rate whereas you're not getting bubos in you know san francisco at that time right but you could literally sell meat cows meat in san francisco to london and it could yeah. be there within the same day and be have some sort of awful vector disease in there it's like, yeah, I mean, that's the byproduct of industrialization of agriculture and these closed systems that you're talking about. It takes one bad crop of grain to infect like 50 head of cattle that gets spread all over the states. And then they have to shut all of those shipments down. Like that happens every now and then. Like yeah. we're about in the time of like, hey, there's a recall on lettuce again. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Like that like E. coli or something. <laughs> it's like, yeah. 
the Peter Pan peanut butter alert. Remember that one? Yeah. Oh, there, wa- there was one of those. Yeah, that was like that was like when we were kids. <sighs> there was a whole thing. It like um, destroyed that company. Like they have oh. not recovered from from that. We're a Skippy and Jiff family, so we were good. But like, oh, amen. Yeah, I guess where were we going with it? We have to talk about the animals. People that dip their fingers into peanut butter should be shot and and charged in an international court. I just want to. That's my hot take for today. Uh, That's Carlton's hot take. You know what I'm talking about? They take their little little (laughs) chimpanzee finger and dip it in the peanut butter and then put it in their mouth. And with their slobbery, gross peanut butter finger, go back in like an eye eye for a larva. Dude, I agree. It's preposterous. Like, don't do this. They should don't. be. They should. It should be an international crime. They should go to the Hague and be tried. Uh, uh, but peanuts. Another. Uh, what's up, Connor? I was gonna say. I think that's a little much. But you know, whatever. It is a little much. Maybe not <laughs> like capital punishment, but you know, like a flogging or two. But <laughs> yeah, peanuts are, are a. Uh, <laughs> Have some class. Don't do that. Use a spoon. Cat of nine. Let's just kill all them, dude. Like, come on. Um, death by llamas. It'd be fitting for the torture with peanuts. But you just have to stare at a bunch of llamas and they're just hideous. So you just die. Uh, anyway, peanuts are from the Andes. Piss and off, like, dude. Piss <laughs> off. Uh, llamas are camels. They're, they're camelids. Um, they are the last remaining camelids with the guanacos and alpacas in the uh, the Americas because all the other camels had the good sense to be like, you know what? There's a lot more land and cool stuff in the old world. Let's head there. And then llamas were in the mountains and came down one day and they're like, what's up, guys? <laughs> guys? Okay. okay. Oh, like the dinosaurs I on Noah's Ark that forgot the invitation. <laughs> I got beef. You, what, dromedary camels that go across like the Sahara Desert, that's so much better than living in the Andes. And living in the rainforest of, I, I think llamas had it good, dude. They're just ugly. <laughs> but you were just saying that they all the camels pieced out because they thought it was better. They had a better deal in, in, in Africa, going across the Sahara Desert I, and the Fertile Crescent. That, now that you've played the tape, I do realize I said that, <laughs> and I disagree with myself. Have I'm you ever seen how terrifying a newborn <laughs> llama looks? Like, look up no. newborn. Are you llama, scared of llamas? Like, fresh Are out you of the womb. Scared of llamas? They look terrifying. Newborn. I'm not scared of them. I'm just saying, like llama. newborn llamas. No. Oh, oh <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I gotta look. Oh, they're like the least intimidating animal. Yeah, but look, when they're newborn, they look like a freak. It looks like when you have like a cotton ball that falls in the toilet bowl, and you have to like fish it out to throw it out. Like it's that. <laughs> they have uh, demon eyes. They have straight demon eyes. <laughs> they do. Hang on, we're getting. We're getting <laughs> I, I think yes. I, I contradicted myself. Like, llam, like camels were like you know let's bail, but the, the llamas they came out of the Andes and were cool. The you got llamas there. The turkey was domesticated in Mexico and the southeast or southwest of the United States, or you know the Americas at the time. The guinea pig from South America as well. Uh, and then the Muscovy duck. I don't know where exactly that was domesticated, but it was. Macaws. Were they domesticated? I think so. Or just like caught and tainted. All right, yeah. So yeah, we can do counts. that next episode if we want to start with like at like other agric- like flora. Because I mean, could, yeah, we could talk about how, like flora, fauna, and like how different animals like shaped civilizations and stuff. Yeah, because I think it is important. Like, there's just not that many domesticates in the New World. They do exist, but not enough to make like a whole episode. Yeah, because they're not. 
pack animals, like something we didn't talk about this episode, like a lot of human technology is surrounds how to make pack an, like animals more efficient. And that's how you get pack animals, like the ring collar to better farm. And there's these, all these dualities and technology specific for agriculture and, and domestication that you don't largely see in the old world. That's not to say it's, you know, better or worse, but yeah, the Mayans had it uh pretty bad. They were like, the guys like moving the the blocks of stone with lime on it. They were like, Hey, can we like just get some dogs or something to like pull this for us? And they're like, Nope. <laughs> just whipped them and they like had to move all of it. <laughs> like at the end of this, you get sacrificed too. How's that sound? And they were like, at least it's relief. <laughs> but they didn't have cows or mammoths to pull stones up, you know, the the, the pyramid. Mm-hmm. Uh shout out ten thousand BC, brought it back. Um, they had uh, aliens though, so they did. What I guess? Uh, how how should we how should we end this? What's a poignant note? We talked about animals getting uh, the domestic. We, I know we didn't talk about all of them, guys. Like, it, don't email us and be like, "Hey, you didn't mention this, this, or that." But like, also email us, tell us we didn't get this, this, or that. We'd like to know. Yeah, we've got well, Mr. Skunk. Skunks were not domesticated. Yes, they are. What North what? America domestic striped skunk. Someone was like, you know what? We got to fix this. <laughs> Just like <laughs> gathered them up. We're going to breed these and release them back. <laughs> um, I really like the smell. So all the, a lot of the articles that we drew information on today, you can find them in the description. A couple of these you might need access to that go more in depth than what we, we have. So if you're interested in this, you need some citations. They're down there. And yeah. Reach out to us, email us, buy some merch like us on iTunes, review us, all the things that we keep asking you. And if you have ideas for like shirts or merch, email us. Like, if you let have us know. like ideas for guests too, like yeah. let us know. We appreciate it. Rate and review us. If That's you want to do this one. podcast and replace us because we suck at our job, please let us know. You should also click the link to our OnlyFans that is on our Instagram uh, link. Um, it's on our link tree. We do have an, we do have an OnlyFans. We should end it there. <laughs> yep, and that's been episode sixty five. Go check out OnlyFans. Our OnlyFans. I right, know go. they're gonna find a f- dog at LeBrell now, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna have to take tasteful f- woodland nudes. <laughs> <laughs>Thanks for listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a Life in Ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. Guess who I saw today? Who? Everyone I looked at. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.